Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. Hello, I'm Scott Santucci. Hey, and I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is dedicated to asking the big questions that you may be wondering about sales enablement. Are you frustrated that maybe something's not quite right? Do you believe that sales enablement should be adding more value than it really is? In this podcast, we're going to talk about today something that's very near and dear to my heart, and that's training and learning. So, Scott, what do you have for us? Thank you, Brian. And as always, we try to frame out the topic that we're discussing by bringing other examples to the table so that we have better insights and better perspective to discuss it. I have the great fortune, or if I were a 12 year old uh, rewriting many, many, many reports over and over and over again, uh, the misfortune of having an educator for a mother. And my mom has worked in developing curriculum and uh, learning for many years and has all kinds of masters in, in training and she's an educator through and through and through. Well, one of the things that's interesting as we all know, the curriculum for students and the curriculum for adult learning has gone off into different different branches. And one thing that's being exposed to all of that information, you, you hear a lot of things. And one of the things that I'm particularly attuned to is this whole idea of the K through 12 state of, of educating our children. In the United States, we spend the most, more than any other industrialized uh, country in the entire world on spending per student. Yet, if you look at test scores and results, we're down towards the bottom. So the question is, what are we getting for all that money and where is it going? And that tends to be a hot topic in a lot of different reformers and perspectives about how we improve education. So Scott, that's great. Uh, as usual, great facts, great story. Uh, but you know, uh, in the corporate world, I don't have very many uh, high schoolers that, that work here. So what does that have to do with sales enablement? What is that? Right. So I love that question. And what does that have to do with anything? Why are we talking about that? Well, the reason that we're, we're talking about that is I often get the opportunity to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with CEOs. And the reason that I'm there having that conversation is, of course, they're concerned with the productivity of their sales force. So my first question is, well, how sure are you that it's the effectiveness or it's the quality of the reps? Have you looked at, say, your products and services? CEO answer is always, well, we've done a lot of research into that. That's a good question. Uh, we've gotten Bain, McKinsey, or some external person to validate their, their corporate strategy. Uh, we've got great feedback about our products and services. We feel, we feel fantastic about it. It's not our products and services. Like, okay, well, maybe it's, have you thought about that it's uh, your messaging and, and marketing? Well, we actually did a brand audit 
the branding that we came out with is is brand new and we really like we really like where we are with our branding and positioning our marketing department's generating a tremendous amount of leads and those leads aren't getting followed up by the sales force and it's very frustrating uh, we've got a lot of metrics and indicators from our marketing department about what what kind of messaging is is involved so uh, we're pretty certain it's it's the sales force. So then my next question is, okay, well, if it's the sales force, then have you been hiring the right people? Maybe, maybe what you've been doing is been hiring the wrong people all along. So the answer is, well, of course we hire the right people. We always uh, were really good about hiring best in breed. We hire uh, with competitive salaries. We've got a you know, great hiring process in place. And then I asked the, you know, for sort of a follow-on question uh, around that, which is, are the people who are still involved there two years ago? So in other words, all of the new recruits that you have that comprise the, the bulk of your sales force, are they all the same people? Yes, they're, they're, the, all, they're the same people. Mm-hmm. So basically my summary of that, Brian, is, uh, and, and I say this to CEOs, is like, well, let me summarize what I've heard. Your products are great. Your branding and positioning is great. You're hiring all the right people, yet somehow you have the wrong sales force today. Is that correct? And the CEO says, yes. And then my question back to him is, are you looking at what you're doing because it seems like you're manufacturing the wrong reps? Mm. And then I'd be quiet. And then when uh, when that happens, uh, it's always a hmm. I never really thought about that and we have a completely different question rather than launching into what kind of sales training program do we need to put in place or how do we hold salespeople accountable, et cetera. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's an interesting way that you put it here. Are you manufacturing the right reps? So I have a, I have a people background and um, that concept of manufacturing reps is, is something that the traditional uh, L and D folks might rail against, but what do you, what do you mean by that? And, and what, what kind of dialogue do you have about this concept of manufacturing reps? Well, really what I mean by that is just like there are people who are really looking at how do we improve the overall school system? Maybe the system that we have for sellers is, is antiquated. And that, that's really the point. And what I don't mean to say Uh, What I want to make sure is really clear to everybody listening, I'm not anti-sales training. I'm extremely pro-sales training. I'm extremely pro-skill development. I'm extremely pro-seller. I think the question that that, that I'm trying to ask is, is the sum of the parts working and what does it look like? And I think in order for us to really examine that question, I think nobody would be better to help us explore that than, than you, Brian. If you don't know Brian, uh, one of the things that uh, you may notice is when you look at his email, it says Dr. Brian Lambert. So what are you a doctor in and how do you go about getting a doctorate? <laughs> well, uh, to answer that specifically on the uh, transcript, it says uh, PhD in organization and management. And when I uh, started that, uh, what that was was uh, organizational design, organizational teaming, uh, operating models, et cetera. But I, I was a practitioner at the time, and I looked for uh, a degree program where I could study sales. So I wanted the context to be sales. So as I went through the entire 
five-year process. I, you know, when I had my, my ethics class, I did sales ethics. When I did marketing, I did marketing plus sales. When I did my management uh, content, it was about sales management. So I studied sales the whole time. And as you may know, Scott, there really are no PhDs in sales. Uh, so I, I tend to, to think that I'm probably one of the few that's actually studied uh, at the PhD level, this thing called professional selling. Excellent. And for those of you who don't know, what I want to do is also put this in context. Uh, I've had myself a tremendously huge learning curve on all of the sales training and learning and development vernacular and terminology. Uh, I myself have been a consumer of sales training courses, some of which I've hated and some of which I've liked as a salesperson. I've been a purchaser of sales training, uh, sales training programs as a VP of sales and marketing some of which I've liked and some of which I've hated. And now I'm in the business of actually designing uh, some uh, sales, sales training programs of which uh, I don't really follow the traditional playbook. But what, what's important is let's start to understand a lot of these terms and where do they come from, these disciplines, how they're being applied today in this, in, in this, in this modern world. And I think a great setup for that is before Brian joined the team at Forrester, so past podcast we've talked about that, Brian actually was in a role at, uh, at the time it was called, I think it's ASTD and now it's ATD. What is Correct. ATD? What is that? Yep, it's a great organization. It's uh, the uh, world's largest professional society for training development professionals. So, hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. They have an annual conference where they routinely get 10 to 15,000 people. It's the, the association for, for trainers. And that was started like in the forties, right? Yeah, that's correct. In the forties. And as you know, Scott, uh, in the forties, there was a lot of work to industrialize uh, training and development. And so it was born out of that industrialization, standardized testing, et cetera, and moved in through a, a series of, of uh, steps through, you know, skill development, competencies, testing, et cetera, and then into workforce planning, workforce development, workplace education, and now what they're calling talent development. So when you worked at ATD, what was your role? What did you do? I had two primary roles. Uh, the first one was uh, looking at the strategic direction of the organization. How could it better serve uh, what was becoming more of a segmented view of the quote unquote trainer. So um, what did that look like? What type of communities would be established, et cetera. And then with my background, um, I, I was a seller. I'd been in sales management, sales training. I, I stood up what is now the sales enablement community of practice, which was the first one uh, of its kind in, in the organization. Well, I, so I need to understand this a little bit more. That's a, that's a, that seems like a lot of inside baseball for me, at least. Um, maybe the rest of you who are listening can really understand it. So first you said, as somebody who only really cares about sales training, I, I gather that there are other kinds of trainers in, in ATD, help me understand that a little bit. Right, uh, so this is, this is a, it's a great question. First, when you look at the umbrella of training, it's this idea of helping individuals get the right skills and knowledge to be successful. When you work, look at that and juxtapose that against today's workplace, there are many different specialties. And at the time, you know, this is 15, 20 years ago, uh, workforces and workplaces were becoming more and more specialized. 
So what I was doing in essence was looking at the different types of audiences, the different types of quote unquote learners and looking at their specialized needs from a, a you know, job skill perspective. Uh, traditionally, uh, L&D people, trainers tend to not engage sales teams. And in fact, uh, one of the things that I had b begun uh, prior to that was this idea of I want to be the, uh, the trainer to the sales trainers. I, I don't want to necessarily be a sales trainer. I want to help those who do it because why is it that internal to most organizations, the sales training uh, organization was outsourced to vendors? Right. Why wasn't uh, training supported by these folks called trainers that uh, tend to work on leadership development, for example, or customer service or soft skills or, or, or all these other things, but selling. And that's, right, one of the, so that's where I went let into. Me, let me break this up a little bit because I'm, I'm trying to track. So for our audience members, for myself trying to learn about uh, where all these different sales enablement functions report to. Sometimes they report into L&D functions. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're in competition, violent competition with the learning and development organization. So part of the first thing that I, I want to understand is, Brian, are you saying, am I understanding you correctly by saying that where the learning and development space started out, sort of the legacy was there's a central learning and development function that provided adult learning to all functions, like a, like a service, yes. a shared service group, that the learning and development function would provide it to manufacturing, to marketing, to, to sales, or what have you. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And it's ebbed and flowed and became from a centralized to a federated model and then back and forth. Sometimes it gets distributed into the operations. Sometimes there's a centralized uh, leadership development function and yep. organizations since the 1940s have been trying to crack that code on yep. how do they make their learning and development teams more relevant to their the second, The second thing that I heard you say was as a representative for a entity that's focused on learning and development professionals, you were curious as to why so much of the sales sales training was being outsourced. And by being outsourced, I'm assuming you're meaning it's uh, companies are contracting firms like Sandler or Miller-Hyman or Richardson or whomever to come in and do the sales training for the sales force. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And um, because of that, they, the, the trainers that I was working with, the L&D professionals, seem to want to abdicate that responsibility to to these vendors and i couldn't quite understand why that was gotcha so at that point in time what i understand that you're you're telling me is that what you did was started to say hey guys let's start to build some competencies around what it would take to bring in-house more of this sales training so as a result of that, you did a lot of surveys, you did a lot of research, you collected it because you wanted to be more or less the trainer of sales trainers. Is that correct? That's right. And the fundamental uh, problem I was trying to solve was to, to bring more relevance and impact of this, this thing called learning development slash training to the customer 
uh, focused revenue generating employees of an organization. In other words, I had heard and I believed in the, the, that that trainers and, and L&D professionals could have a strategic seat at the table. But uh, the only way to me that they, that they would be able to do that would be to drive revenue and not be so much of a cost center, but an investment in where the organization needs to go, thereby linking people, salespeople to the business strategy. And if we didn't go there as a profession, I don't know what we were doing. So this is pretty insightful for me. Uh, one of the things that I have been exposed to is prior to, prior to joining Forrester and some of the work that I've done in the past would be you know, working with a big company like Unisys and Unisys having a university function uh, of which underneath it, it had a dean of a sales university. And what they would do is offer a ASTD, this was at the time, ASTD certified people to work with us on training programs. And the difficulty was they had very rigid approaches of how to go about building those training programs that didn't map to the business requirements that we were, we were trying to do. That was my, my personal experience. What experience, where, where does that come from? What, what, what's, what's really the goal here? And where do these tools, I think, the, I think one of the methods that they were referring to is Addy. What, what's Addy and uh, why, was, why was that being discussed with me and the sales leaders at, uh, at Unisys? So Addy is an acronym for uh, a traditional, um, fundamental uh, workflow that corporate L&D professionals would go through to build uh, custom training. So it stands for basically an analysis, you analyze the job or the skills, you design something, you develop something, you implement and you evaluate. So it's kind of a, you know, continuous improvement model and a lot of, uh, you know, trainers are taught that. There are also other versions of it, but the point is, is that there's a basically an, uh, a challenge that needs to be addressed and you would go through and build stuff uh, to support it. Um, so that's that's Addy. So to answer that question specifically, the the challenge is that uh, Addy and all of the models for L and D are kind of predicated on two fundamental uh, principles of of, uh, of of adults. One is that the jobs are clear, right? So if you have a clear job, you can go out and build skills to it. So that's the fun one fundamental thing. The second fundamental thing is that because the jobs are clear, uh, the, the scope of those jobs are well known to everybody else. Mm. So uh, you can build skills and everybody knows what these people are supposed to be doing, uh, whoever they are, customer service, whatever. And so what I was really perplexed by in my own uh, work was, well, the sales role, it's, it appears to be clearly defined, but boy, it's not the more you understand it. And also we are going through a transition uh, in business and in, in the, uh, the broader landscape that roles are evolving and the skills required of today are not the skills required of tomorrow. So now what are we going to do? And, you know, uh, by the way, it, shouldn't CEOs be expecting that the L&D function be able to help the organization evolve to that? So how does Addy help you do that when it's, when it's uh, you know, grounded on these two uh, rear view mirror hardened uh, principles that no longer exist anymore? Yeah, and to be fair uh, to, the, to the trainer, who at the time made me and the sales leadership extremely frustrated, <laughs> uh, 
because the questions they were asking weren't at all aligned to what the goals were. To be fair, what's very common is there's a lot of, uh, actually it's a term I picked up from you, Brian, role ambiguity within the sales force. And it's not so much that sales roles tend to be defined more around uh, sets of activities so that you can get a comp plan, uh, comp plan going, but there's not enough descriptors in there about exactly what is the nature of the job at hand. So are we asking our sellers to be more consultative or more transactional? Those differences aren't placed into most job descriptions today. Uh, there's just a lot of details in there about attributes or competencies or things like that, but not enough about how they get their work done. So I think that's, a, that, that's something that we're, we're seeing a change of, but when you have a functional group that's built, been built up since the 40s with a lot of existing infrastructure, it might be very difficult for those, uh, those sales trainers to um, get outside that box and, and actually question or even think that they can question what the scope of a role is. Is, is that right? Like, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing, Brian, with regards to these, uh, these emerging sales trainers? Yeah, so um, the, the concept of analysis, for example, uh, a traditional approach to an analysis of a role could be a research project or it could be a series of interviews, but it's fairly quick. Um, so just the concept of an analyzing roles and selling, you know, Scott, I don't know about you, you know, we've been working together now 11 to, to 15 years or so. I, I don't think our analysis is quite uh, solidified and, and as complete as, uh, as trainers. And we're still doing analysis today after 15 years. You can't do an ease analysis on a sales force in 30 minutes by mm -hmm. answering a bunch of questions, for example. So that, that's one of the challenges that uh, sales trainers inside of companies have today. And, and back then, that was one of the things that I was trying to illuminate was the cross-functional nature, the internal navigation, this idea of spanning corporate boundaries, being out on a limb, et cetera. These are um, attributes of a role that require higher level uh, skill set and, and more of a, about a way of thinking, mm -hmm. not a, a way of, uh, com you know, completing a task. Right. And that's yeah. the that's the and this is why, you know, sometimes I don't tell people I have my Ph.D. I got a pinged on a pinged on LinkedIn. Hey, you had Ph.D. on there. Then you took it off. Then you put it back on. Then you took it off. It's my own internal battle because a lot of these concepts have have academic background. And, and research is required to understand, you know, the brain, brain science, uh, the evolution of a workplace. There's a lot in uh, the academic space, but the the translation of that into execution is where I, I spend my time. And I just felt like it was important to understand the totality of what was going on from a, a human perspective. Uh, and, I, and I still use those, those uh, things today, but I don't I don't necessarily believe I should lead with it because uh, the world is, has changed and it's more about having an impact in a conversation today than leading with a professional standing, et cetera. So I know I took us a little bit off, but no, I have this own eternal battle here. You know? That's great color. Uh, I, I really think that in a future podcast, we should get at the reactions that I had when you would introduce a lot of that terminology in our research meetings uh, when we <laughs> first started working at Ford. Yeah, and we're still friends after all this time, but boy, yeah, it was uh, interesting. And I, I, yeah, we should, we should tell a day in the life of Scott and Brian back then, boy, we would go at it, but we were both trying to understand each other was the thing. 
Yeah. Right. So what, what what I'd like is you know to sort of wrap up on the the ATD experience. Uh, you produced a lot of reports and uh, did did a lot of analysis. What were some of the the reports and research that you did at ATD? At ATD, I, I led a um, so I swung my PhD research into uh, which is basically salesperson skills or we call them competencies. Uh, there's a whole series of uh, attributes of competencies. And I swung my PhD research into a research project globally uh, where I basically built the first sales enablement competency framework. So it included sales operations, sales management, sales trainers, sales people, uh, and uh, sales trainers uh, as a, an enablement function. So that was a, it's called world-class selling. It had a bunch of tools in there where you could go out and assess the, the attributes of your sales force, et cetera. But even in that work, which is one of the best sellers at ATD, uh, it's really easy to go into an aggregate view of the sales team, mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, and, and, and that was the thing there is, uh, I wish I would have been able to help folks tailor it more to their specific portfolio of sales forces. But I also wrote a bunch of books. I, I wrote, uh, I, I have two domains. I had the sales domain. So I wrote a book called 10 Steps to Successful Sales. It's for entry-level salespeople. And then on the other side, I had this L&D background. So I did a lot of certificates. I learned uh, human performance improvement. I, I learned things like this Addy model that we talked about. So I have a heavy uh, L&D background. And I think that set me up well when I joined Forrester to have a foot in both of those domains. Yes, and I think that that background is important for us to understand it. Uh, one of the things that I'd like to point out is, you know, our goal at, on this podcast is to talk about inside sales enablement. And one of the challenging um, attributes about this uh, rapidly growing role is what is the scope of it? And ATD now has a sales enablement community. So, the, the, the point there is what is the scope and what is the byproduct of, uh, of that community? And from, from my perspective, I think that uh, sales enablement is a inclusive function. Uh, I'm, I'm all for any function that's going to work to make the, make the job of sellers easier and to drive to make the, the revenue uh, growth more enabled. So for me, the, the scope of sales enablement in, is inclusive of trainers, but not absolute to trainers. It yeah, includes right. marketers. It, yep. in, it includes the finance department uh, who has analytics or uh, other process steps. It includes the administrative functions that exist that create policies and procedures that sellers need to adhere. It may include some elements of the compensation setting process and not all of it. So the way of all the groups that uh, it's inclusive is important. And what are, what are some of your thoughts uh, of, of this grounding nucleus of the a ATD sales enablement patch? Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and, and just building off of what you said, when I was, when I was going through and I was a seller, I said, I want to go work on the sales profession, not in it. And I didn't know what it was. And so I ended up through my research into this, this skill building and at ATD, when I did that, me personally, it became that um, this enabling sales forces needs to be done through skills and it's all about the people only. And I became very exclusive uh, in my design and, and in my approach to things. Uh, and, I, and I wish I would have been a little bit more open-minded to your point, Scott. And, and now where I'm at is if you just, if you take all those people, 
that you just mentioned, all those functions and put them around a conference room table. And I've literally done this. You know, I've had operations, marketing, sales, sales training. Uh, I've had external vendors. We were all sitting in a room. And, and the amount of energy that's spent uh, convincing one another who's right is ridiculous. And mm -hmm. I just, I, I, wanna, I want us to think about stripping that away and saying, you know what, look at each other. And, and I've done this. Look to the person on your left, look to the person on the right. And you know what? Tell them that they're right because they are right and everybody's right in their own way. This is not about right and wrong anymore. And that's my own personal evolution. I thought I was 100% right. And if everybody just did what I said, we would be good from an L&D perspective. Uh, but it's not. There's one aspect, one component, one pillar, and everybody's right. Now what? Now The now what of that is incredibly uh, challenging because you have all of this, this hardened view and an isolated view, including, you know, my own background in L&D, I was extremely biased and rigid. So everybody's right now, what, and then in that view, how do we move forward? And then what's the role of, of folks that understand how humans learn, how behaviors or competencies or skills need to be built and how to uh, model, uh, you know, somewhat of a reality in a safe way so you don't have to practice on customers. You know, and, and let, can we just focus on that? As right. A profession? So we're at the point now where we uh, we wrap up and share, each of us share our, our takes. Let me share with you what and our listeners what I get out of this conversation every single time. For me, uh, the primary role or primary duty of sales enablement is to simplify things. And to your point that you articulated really well, we have lots of cooks in the kitchen. And let's just take the, the, the talent flavor of sales enablement. There are other flavors where it's not get into marketing and, and content or anything like that. So let's, let's go back to the first uh, area that we talked about, which is the conversation with the CEO and you're manufacturing the wrong reps. Today, there's so many different individual people involved in that hiring process. So the way that I like to think about this is a hire to retire process end to end. And one of the things that I like to do is I like to look at a, a talent spec. And what's interesting is very few companies actually have one talent spec. I've seen some groups in lear learning development create these very rigid uh, criteria of what they hire to. Most of the time, sales trainers are not privy to that information. So they train on something, something different. That spec goes out and uh, gets broken down and then there are other people involved. Uh, maybe the hiring manager is responsible for writing out a job description. Uh, then there's other people within the recruiting department that write um, job descriptions that are to promote it. There are recruiters involved. So there's a whole bunch of people just involved in just the recruiting process alone, step one. And then you go to the onboarding process which there's a whole bunch of other cooks in, in, involved in that kitchen. Then you get into the coaching part, which we can do a deep dive into about how messy, messy that is about what the actual role of frontline, uh, frontline sales managers are. Then we get into the development process, which is the, you know, the training and all the different factors of which sales training is only a small piece of all the training sellers get. And then you get on to how you evaluate performers. And when you do that inventory, just the sheer number of people inside your company with their own versions of Addy that they're looking at through the lens in is massive. 
So the first thing that I like to do is find a way to simplify something end to end. And that for me means taking an inventory of all, all, the, all the people. So part of what Brian's telling me helps me get more knowledgeable or empathetic about these individuals so that we can bring them along and um, empathize with them. That's, that's, that's one point. Any, any comments on that? Cause I was, uh, a lot of a lot to share well i think that that's your take that's one of your takeaways mine to counter that was in and uh, not counter it but to add on to that is one of the things that is a takeaway for me is this idea of the ceo view of this you know they're so clicked up that they tend to think in, in terms of a quote-unquote system view and are you manufacturing reps and then, you know, Scott, you, you click into that with this hire to retire. And I think our listeners have a choice to make in this, right? Because in, in your defense, you know, sometimes people are like, well, Scott makes it so complicated. You know, to me, you know what, Scott, you're not the one making it complicated. Uh, our companies are. Mm -hmm. you, you happen to, you know, as, as the father of the profession, be able to say, here's, here's what it is. It just is what it is. And, and, and we, you know, I, when, when I looked at it that lens, I had a choice to make. And it was the, do I go towards this and uh, want to explore this in my role and the value add in that? Or do I want to just shut it down? And it comes down to me, you know, that, that scene in the matrix, red pill or blue pill. And uh, everybody has a choice to make on what pill they want. And, you know, through this podcast series, uh, we're going to offer the reality pill and you got to, you got to swallow it. If, and if not, you're not going to listen anymore because that's where we're going to go. It, we're going to go into that rabbit hole and, and you simplify the rabbit hole and, and it allows me to um, be clear on the value that L and D could bring or the value that, that my flavor of enablement could bring to the cause so that we're additive so that the sum of the parts is, is greater than the whole, but we can't, we can't stick our head in the sand. Excellent. There's another uh, lesson that I learned is one of the things that I've learned from you, Brian, is the whole idea of justifying or not, not justifying, but providing measurement of completion or the value of training by the way people complete scores. Like did they complete their, their test assignments? So very similar to how, uh, whether my son has completed physics, he got a 97 on it, then we judge him as, you know, he's good at physics. Similar thing, uh, somebody's gone through some sales training uh, curriculum, they've gotten a grade, now the manager thinks that uh, they have those competencies. But as you and I both know, sales is a performance-based role, not a did you do it the right way role like a finance uh, person might be. And given that, that learning actually comes from doing it. And I think one of the things that uh, where as businesses get more metric driven, we haven't created enough space to create the evaluation of talent by doing. And what I've noticed is as a sales leader and a sales professional, the idea of doing a role play, which used to be commonplace, is now really papooed upon or that's not really scientific or there's a whole bunch of excuses or reasons why role-playing isn't uh, isn't a great thing and I'm a huge advocate of bringing experiential learning back into uh, into the curriculum and into the course so that was another uh, lesson learned and what I've found is that when I include after we've deconstructed with a learning and development professional the, the, the capabilities saying, I'm not asking you to apply your frameworks, but you have a lot to give, a lot to help make this more, uh, more constructive. 
watch how we're doing these things and help us learn how to make them more repeatable. That is a fantastic use of a learning and development professional, in my opinion. The challenge is how do we balance the, hey, here are my needs for, for me as a business person, and then how do I convey them to somebody so that they can put away some of the structure and you know, just start getting real of what, what their capabilities are. So that was a, that's another takeaway that I've had from this, uh, from this conversation, my exposure with you. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, I, I know we have to go. One of the things that I appreciate about our work together is that you, you've always seen the value of, um, you know, L and D training, et cetera, and, and wanted it to have the impact. And, you know, while uh, L&D can help scale these uh, examples or uh, create ways to uh, replicate across the organization, there's some, there's some very tactical areas that L&D uh, can move into uh, building off of what you said, Scott, and that has to do with, you know, helping salespeople not feel so exposed in, in these training environments and then also helping them with the concept of getting, getting feedback. I deal with a lot of uh, entry level and new salespeople and the idea of being out in front of somebody freaks them out from a, mm -hmm. their internal peers. And then when they get feedback, they get, they shut down uh, even if it's constructive feedback. So there's a, I don't know if it's generational or what, but that's to me an L and D thing is, is how do you help people and, and soften the beach for uh you know, behaviors, behavioral based learning or process driven or learning by doing because the learning by doing is not taught in schools today. So they come out and it's just boom. Yep. You know? We're going to cover different kinds of, and what we're learning with regards to experiential learning and help making that uh, pain go away and increase the, the rep productivity time through experiential and situational learning. But that's a different, uh, that's a different episode. Yep. Thank you very much for your time, Brian. That was great insight. I really loved, uh, loved your stories. What we're asking you to do as, as a listener, please share with us what you took away from this. Uh, what lessons learned? Uh, how does Inside Sales Enablement Podcast help you rethink and re-envision re how, you're, how you're working? Drop us a line at engage at insidese.com. Tell us a story. Give us a scene. Give us any kind of feedback. We're very encouraged by some of the initial responses of our, our initial podcast. Our goal is to create a learning environment, and part of that learning environment is to share some of the inside stories and lessons learned from many different people, many different perspectives. Uh, Brian, do you have any other uh, any parting thoughts before we wrap up this episode? Uh, no. I appreciate everybody's feedback. It's been great. Thanks for the time. Excellent. So thank you and join us next time in our next episode. See you then. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.